Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 110 for the 4th of June, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest is Paul Ducklam. Welcome back, Paul. Hi there, Chester. Been a busy couple weeks, uh, mostly on the road again, but uh, I'm actually at home this week in Vancouver and was looking through all the stories since we last spoke, and I think probably one of the biggest ones there was a lot of controversy about that was worth discussing that kind of touches on, I guess, both security and privacy, and usually when you and I pick a topic, it ends up being about privacy or security, but this is kind of both, which is the, the Skype instant message controversy. Uh, for folks that weren't necessarily following along, uh, it turns out that Microsoft appears to be doing some uh, URL scanning of uh, sp for spam and potentially malware when you send links through instant messages on the Skype service, and folks were a bit surprised by that. Yes, I think they imagined that if the voice is encrypted end-to-end, -end, it would be exactly the same for instant messages you sent via Skype which of course is a separate part to the voice. And uh, my understanding is that Microsoft feels under pressure to do something about guys who are sending spammy links via the instant messaging part in the same way that you expect your email to be filtered for stuff that's bogus. Well, it's completely reasonable from my perspective in that we've seen a lot of malware take advantage of Skype instant messaging technology in order to social engineer people into clicking links. Uh, I know you've written about the, uh, you know, I'm stranded in Spain and I've been mugged and lost my wallet and could you please send me $2,000? You can also imagine, you know, a fake support call scammer, the idea that he can talk you into doing something and at the same time actually present you with a directly clickable link that will put you in harm's way. You know, you can imagine that anything Microsoft could do to prevent that link being delivered has got to be good. And my understanding is that all the researchers showed was that when they put a link, whether it was HTTP or HTTPS, into an instant message, at some future moment, one of Microsoft's servers actually visited that URL in some way. So obviously, they know the content of what's inside the instant message. Yeah, I think the, the surprising part for people that maybe created some of the storm around this was that they were visiting HTTPS links and not just HTTP links. and as we both know, of course, you can put malicious stuff behind either one. It also shows that leaping to conclusions that because these links are being visited, therefore it's now reasonable to assume that Microsoft is listening to your conversation and doing something with that data, that is a rather large leap and it's not one that's worth making. And, you know, if we are a society which seems to accept free webmail services in return for those webmail services reading our email before we do to send us targeted ads, then perhaps fussing about whether Microsoft is trying to filter out potentially malicious instant messaging links, whether they're in Skype or any other service, as you say, it does seem a little bit over the top. So we can probably all stand down from blue alert. Yeah, and as uh, as was pointed out as well, the privacy policy and, and uh, did explain that Microsoft reserved the right to visit those links to filter out malicious stuff. So uh, folks that are, are upset about it need to remember to read those policies before they agree to them. Page 794. Well, so, speaking of, in my opinion, overreaction, but we can discuss this. There was another story this week specifically related to the IP Commissioner's Report, which was a a report in the United States about intellectual property theft uh, that had recommendations, guidance, and information from the 
IP industry, as it were, I guess, whoever the IP industry is. Now, Chester, can I just ask you, in terms of the overreaction that you're about to predict here, are you going to say that the IP commission overreacted or that the people reacting to the IP commission's reaction overreacted? Can I say both? Yes, you can. So tell us tell us about both overreactions because I sort of agree with you. They're, they're, it's, a, it's a crazy story that's so great that, that it needs to be told. Yeah, so the, the, the initial headlines that I caught or I wouldn't normally have read the IP commissioner's report was that the IP commission wants to put ransomware on my computer if I'm caught trying to download a song that I don't have the proper uh, permission to access and play that music or art in my home. And For those of you who want to follow at home, it does in fact say pretty much that just at the top of page 89 of 100. <laughs> um, it's a long way to read through if you want to find it yourself, but that's where you'll get it, page 89, folks. Yes, and, and my reaction reading the report was that much of the report was focused more on talking about intellectual property uh, at a high level, including some of the targeted attacks against businesses and espionage and uh, alleged state-sponsored hacking and all these types of things. What's more absurd is that the Intellectual Property Commission, one, kind of, it, it almost reads as weaponized DRM, which is just crazy to me to think that under any circumstances we should allow uh, malware to intentionally be distributed in hopes that it might ensnare an IP thief, no matter what kind of intellectual property it is. What's worse to me about the, and it's uh, you know, paragraph two on page 89, as I said, uh, is this idea that, hey, what you can do, we, we want to help people recover stolen intellectual property if it's been stolen by some kind of cyber means. That's all it says. And it said, hey, one thing you could do, and indeed you could do it, is you could lock the unauthorized user's computer and give them instructions on how to contact law enforcement to get the password needed to unlock the account. Now, to me, the crazy thing about that is it sort of automatically legitimizes ransomware by the crooks. In other words, as long as we don't do that, it means whenever you get demands like that, they have to be bogus. In exactly the same way that banks have said, we will give up the opportunity to email you a magic link to fix your password if there's been a breach. We will, we will not do that. We will discourage you from ever clicking on those links. We'll give up that right because that way when you see something like that, you know it's the crooks. We need that same differentiator for ransomware. Otherwise, even a well-informed user is just not going to know. Well, let me summarize what you just said in, in a little bit of a simpler term. The crazy thing about suggesting that you use ransomware or hold people's computers for ransom for intellectual property theft is everything. Everything about it is crazy. It's wrong at so many different levels that we'd need several weeks of podcasts to kind of cover all of our bases. Having said that, the rest of the report, and there are a hundred pages, let's face it, um, has got some interesting stuff in it. So don't rule out the entire report. But guys, if you're going to come up with ideas of how to deal with cyber dodginess. Two wrongs never make a right. Well put. One of our, our friends, uh, Mr. John Hawes, wrote a story for Naked Security uh, covering some interesting stats on UK small business cybersecurity. Oh, that was a, almost a read this and weep story, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the report showed that only 36% of UK small businesses are 
patching their computers regularly or keeping them up to date with patches, which I guess could explain the giant amount of uh, fraud and, and, and theft we've seen from these organizations. I mean, I know I'm not as familiar with the UK scene as I am with the scene here in North America, but you know, we regularly are hearing about uh, large, uh, you know, bank fraud heists against small businesses taking their payroll and all kinds of different things, uh, large-scale credit card fraud against their customers. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't surprised, I guess. I, I think the state of small business security is quite poor. But, I mean, these companies don't have dedicated IT staff often, let alone security staff. I mean, what what things can they do to try to stay better on top of this? I mean. Small businesses don't have a lot of resource. Well, I don't want to suddenly sound crassly commercial and start recommending products, but you know, even Windows Update, if you're not going to look after the stuff yourself, then you can argue that even if something goes horribly wrong with a Windows Update, that's probably better than having your PII ripped off and identity theft committed against you and the good name of your company dragged through the mud. And I think what's what what to me was even worse than the 36% patch regularly. The other side of which, of course, could be that then two-thirds of the businesses patch irregularly is that that wasn't the case. They're 17% admitted that they basically take no cyber precautions at all against crooks. In other words, they're just completely chancing it. And you've only got to look at the logs on any home user's router to know that the crooks don't care whether you're large, medium, or small. They are going to try automated probes, and if they can get in, they will. And if they can find something and steal it, they will, because even if it's worth only two bucks on the underweb, that's basically two bucks the crooks have earned for doing almost nothing. Yeah, and the other issue I've seen is they often don't have centralized visibility, so the people taking these surveys may not even know how bad it is on their network. Uh, I've got you know, friends that operate small businesses that if they've got antivirus on eight different machines for their salespeople and the accountant and this, that, and the other thing, if those pop-ups are coming up all the time saying they're infected or that their Adobe patch is ready and that user is clicking cancel, ignore, next time, wait four hours, whatever the dialogue might be, the person in charge of the business often isn't even aware of that. There's certainly a, a, a big issue there. And I, th I think the movement of small organizations, certainly from a software security perspective of moving toward managed service providers that often, you know, can for a affordable price, provide that as a service and worry about it on their behalf is kind of the trend that seems to work the best. Uh, they're, they're probably not likely going to afford a full-time person to run around and manage their computer security. So if they can educate their employees to be open about problems if they have them, uh, be smart about, you know, not opening things they shouldn't open, and perhaps, you know, find a, a more capable uh, computer security expert resource that can help them manage the security on their PCs and, and keep on top of it. That'll probably get them a lot uh, further down the line than uh, just hoping that they can start clicking patches on Patch Tuesday. I think the simplest advice to get started is if you're not already in the 36% who do patch regularly, whatever regularly means, let's say that's even just once a month to bring yourself up with Patch Tuesday. If you're not in that 36%, then at least don't be in the 17% who are doing absolutely nothing. Because the crooks don't have to be out to get you specifically in order to get you in fact. They just have to be out to get anybody who is in that 17% 
and they're going to mop up a substantial proportion of those anyway. So last but not least, uh, we talked about small businesses and, and un- the unfortunately low numbers of them that are, I guess, doing what we would consider to be best practice and maintaining their computers with patching and keeping their antivirus up to date and all these types of things. Uh, but there was Computer Security Awareness Week uh, that you, you wrote about. Um, these Computer Security Awareness Weeks are important things for people to remember that it is important to get those patches done and make sure that antivirus is up to date. And if you're one of the folks listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty good at that stuff. But maybe during Cybersecurity Awareness Week, this is an opportunity to remind your friends and family or when you go on a visit to to stop in and, and, and check that stuff for mom and dad or your brothers and sisters if you're more savvy than them and uh, keep things up to date, right? Yes, it was, it was actually uh, Antipodeal CISOR, for that's short for Cybersecurity Awareness Week, read out as an acronym. Um, the Aussies had theirs and then the week after the Kiwis had theirs. The nice thing to remember is that it does show that at least in many countries, the public service does care about your attitude to computer security. And although they call it Cybersecurity Awareness Week, or in the US you have a whole month, I believe, as we've said before, it isn't really just about the week. In the same way that if you have a quit smoking day, you don't give up smoking for that day. That's the day that you take on the job of quitting for the rest of your life. And that's the that's the attitude you need to take to computer security. In the same way earlier when we talked about those small businesses, even if you can't get into that 36% of companies that do patch regularly, get yourself out of the 17% who never patch at all and don't take cyber criminality seriously in any way and just leave everything to chance. Because the probability that the crooks will have an interest in you, whether accidentally or by design, is effectively 100%. And there was some winners at, uh, the, of the contest we had at the OSCERT conference uh, two weeks ago, correct? Did you want to uh, give a shout out to those people? The top three guys actually solved the puzzle in less than an hour after it went live, but because we had a random draw, none of those guys actually won a prize. So their prize will have to be that they just get a mention, and they are, in finishing order, at pirate underscore security, if you want to follow him on Twitter, in second place, Lee Cronin, and in third place, Phil Rear. Well done to those guys. Uh, Very quick cyber-solving. And that concludes Software Security Chat Chat 110. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Our podcasts are all available at podcasts.sophos.com and via RSS or on iTunes. We'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes, so please uh, you know, rate us for uh, whatever stars you think we've earned and leave us a little comment there to let us know how we're doing. And until next time, stay secure.